You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Romans chapter 9 this morning, and look at verse 14. I tell you what, let's go all the way back to 6 so we'll understand what we're talking about. But it is not that the Word of God has taken no effect. That means he's saying, how about all these Jews rejecting their Messiah? The Jews wouldn't believe in Jesus for the most part. The majority of them rejected him as Lord, Savior, and Messiah. And so the obvious question of Paul is, since he's talking about all this gospel and grace and good news, he says, uh-huh, well, if your gospel's so good, why aren't the God's, quote, chosen people accepting it? He said, it's not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel. In other words, what he's fixing to say is, just because your blood flows in your veins are that of Abraham does not mean you're the children of Abraham, and most especially, let's say here in a minute, the children of God. Verse 7, nor are they the children because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac, in Isaac your seed shall be called. You know, Abraham had a bunch of other children. I don't know if y'all knew that or not, but he had a bunch of other children. Not a one of them were chosen to be God's chosen people, only Isaac. Only Isaac. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, this is verse 8, are not the children of, what does it say? God. God. That's the point. God was not trying to separate for himself a people for Abraham. Say amen. That's great. God is separating for himself a people for himself. Woo! I like it. But the children of the promise are counted as the seed. The children of the promise are those that are chosen. Matter of fact, they're called the chosen people of God. Not just the not the physical descendants, but the ones that God promised the promises to. Isaac, and then he gets into Jacob. I, I gotta quit preaching. Verse 9: For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also conceived of one man, even by her father Isaac, she had twins. For the children not yet being born, not having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, the purpose of God according to his own unconditional choice, that's what the word election means there, might stand not of works, but of him who calls. Of him who calls. Oh, happy day that fixed my choice. It was said to the older. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I have loved, but Esau, I have hated. Now, you say, Brother Ron, what about those verses? You go get the CD or get on our podcast and listen to the sermons on that, all right? I've already preached it. Now, look at verse 14. What shall we say then? I bet that's what some of y'all are saying after the things I've been preaching. Well, what is God unfair? Look at it. I uh, for 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 uh, what shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? 
Certainly not. For God says, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then, oh, please listen. So then it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. Praise God. A man walks out of a convenience store with a brand new Milky Way in his hand. Everybody say amen. And this Milky Way with its smooth caramel and malty nougat covered with milk chocolate. As he begins to unwrap it, a little kid comes up to him and says, Hey, mister, can I please have that candy bar? What would you do? And the man explains, little boy, I've worked to buy this Milky Way. And I've waited all day long to purchase it. And I want to eat it. So no, son, you cannot have my candy bar. Now, some of y'all think that's mean, don't you? Not mean. So the little kid, you know what he does? In anger, he kicks the man in the shin, sticks his tongue out of him, gives him one of these, and, uh, and he protests, and he says, that's not fair. That's what a lot of people in America is hollering right now. They didn't work for it. They didn't do anything to, to gain it, but they think that everybody else ought to give it to them. And they're hollering, that rich people over there that got a job and went to school and made their money, it's not fair that they have what they have. I need it. You know, the Bible has a big commandment about that. Thou shalt not covet. I worked for it. I paid for it. It's mine. And it's mine to do with what I want to. I don't care what society is telling us. That's God's way. But this little boy says, you're unfair. And the man could have given it all to the boy. He could have given him the whole candy bar. And we'd all said, isn't that sweet and wonderful, that man? I guess so. But, you know, that day he's never going to know what chocolate and nougat and caramel taste like. (laughs) I mean, he sacrifices a lot. He could have given it to the boy, all of it. He could have just given him a piece of it. And we'd have thought of that. We'd have thought that immediately as, oh, no, that's pretty good. That's 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 good. Or he could have said, as he did, no, it's mine. I'm going to eat all of it. It was his candy bar. He paid for it, and he was sovereign over what he did with it. My friend, God is the same way with His grace and His mercy. And here's the problem we've been taught. We've been taught, I remember growing up being taught that God has to give you a chance. Would you show that to me, please? Show that anywhere to me? That's what graciousness is. That's what mercy is. Is giving you what God will give you freely, without charge. And God distributes his grace and mercy as he wills. 
Now, we're going to put forth three observations today of the text, or not today, one today, but three eventually, that teaches that God, it is God. We always want to talk about man's free will. We may talk about that a little bit. But nobody ever wants to support, defend, and promote God's free will. God's free will. And we're going to look at God's, uh, God is free to have mercy on whomever he wants and his freedom to withhold that mercy if he so chooses. Now, you don't like to talk about this. I know that. We don't like to think of God withholding his grace and mercy. But I want to tell you something. Here's the thing about it. If you go to hell, you go to hell because you chose to. God offers salvation to every man, woman, boy, and girl. But the problem is, people say all the time, man has a free will, man has a free will. And that's the problem. Man does what he wants to. And the Bible says the carnal mind is enmity with God. It's not subject to the love of God, nor indeed can be. None understand. No one seeks after God. So what has to happen? God comes seeking after his own. Now, he, I'm getting ahead of myself. Now, the first thing we're going to look at in these verses is God's fairness doubted. The fairness of God doubted. Again, Paul uses the teaching method of the invisible inquirer or questioner, actually, I should say, where he preempts the obvious question and gives the answer. He anticipates, basically, what they're going to say after he said, now look at this, let's look, look at these verses. Verse 11, for the children not yet being born nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to election, that God chooses those that will be saved by his own free will choice, might stand not of works but of him who calls. It is said of her, the older shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved and Esau I have hated. Those are tough, tough verses, aren't they? And the first thing people say and want to say when you get to talking about God's unconditional election of those to be saved is that, would, that makes God unfair. That makes God unfair. Is, is that right? Now, here's why I believe that the Bible teaches sovereign elections because they ask the same thing of Paul. When he was teaching it. Now the obvious answer is no. Let me get into this. The question, is there unrighteousness with God? And basically what he's saying is, isn't that unfair? That God would choose Jacob and leave Esau in his own sin. That he chose to set his love upon Jacob. Now, a lot of people say, well, he's just talking about nations. Okay, Wouldn't it, isn't it unfair that God loved Israel and let all the other nations go to hell? What's the difference? No, he's talking about individuals here. She said the older son, she said, this is before they did any good or evil. He's not talking about nations. So is that unfair that God would give his love to one man and then not give it to the other? Let me tell you what would be fair. The perfect fairness is if he didn't give love to either one of them. The shocking thing about Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated is not Esau I have hated, it's Jacob I have loved. Why 
would you love someone who is rebellious and sneaky and conniving and lying and disrespectful to your chosen man, Isaac? Why would God love him? Why would God love you? Now, I have not seen the thoughts that you think, but I bet they're filthy. I haven't seen the things you've done in secret, but I bet they're sinful. I haven't seen your mind, but I bet it's full of iniquity. You say, Brother Ron, how'd you know that? Because it's in me too. We're all filthy, rotten, dirty sinners that don't deserve and for God to save us. How unfair to him. Now the question, is there unrighteousness with God? The word is injustice. That's what it means. Injustice. Uh, the injustice of a judge unrighteousness of heart and life, a deed violating law and justice, or to act unrighteously or in unrighteousness. But basically, I think here the connotation is that legal injustice, that legal injustice. Isn't this, is this right for God to do? And then what's the answer? Let me back up. Basically, what Paul is saying in this verse is, I know what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. This was a question Paul anticipated then, and it's still today one of the first objections when you discuss God's sovereignty and man's salvation. That's not fair. But then he gives the answer. Certainly not. Now, I want to tell you, it's hard sometimes to translate one language into the other, and right here's one of those points. It, 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 you almost have to be silly to translate this word. Uh, it is may, uh, uh, excuse me, genota, or genote, or however you want to pronounce the Greek. May genota. It is the strongest Greek negative you can find. The King James Version is actually a better translation here. It says, God forbid, but the New American Standard Bible has it even better. May it never be. But actually what it means is no, 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 a thousand times no. But you, it's hard to translate that into English, right? But that's what it means. He's saying, absolutely not. How could you say that? Of course there's no unrighteousness with God. And then he does he go to defend God's election? No. He goes and defend God's righteousness. And uh, what does he say? And he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I have. He said, you heard me right. That God chooses those whom he will, and whom he will, he leaves in their own sin. You heard me right. And there is no injustice with God in doing so. Okay? So that's the answer. Certainly not. Now, he, he basically shows them they have false reasoning. They say that it would be unfair for God to choose to save one sinner over another. They think that's unfair. Not ever, Everybody's got to have the right chance. Who said? This is what the Bible says, that you ought to come to Jesus and maybe perhaps he'll give you repentance. Why would he say that? Because he didn't have to. He will. But don't get all haughty and think, well, he has to. God doesn't have to do anything. He's God, number one, right? They say, God has to do it my way. Here's the way I've got Mama taught it to me. Daddy taught My old preachers taught it to me. This is the way it's got to be. No, it doesn't. It's got to be this way. 
and I'm reading to you the Bible. He will have mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardens. That's what it will say later. They say, I deserve the promise. Can you say that? Anybody in here, don't, don't raise your hand. You'll be embarrassed. Believe you deserve to be saved? No, my friend, if we get what we deserve, we'll be separated from God for hell, forever in hell. Let's look at those promises. Let's look at these promises because that's what he started off with. Look at verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect for they are not. Verse 7, for uh, nor are they all the children because they are the seed of their head. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. So he has said uh, they're not because they're not the seed. In Isaac your seed shall be called. That is those who are the children of the flesh. These are not the children of God. For the children of the promise are counted as the seed. Okay. And so, so listen here. God's covenants. Let's talk about God's covenants today. God's agreements with people and man. Let's see if God is unfair. Okay? God deals with humanity according to covenants or agreements. I agree with that. There are three covenants that deal with our subject at hand and, and are important to the covenants of... Uh, our, they are important covenants of God for our discussion. I'll get it out today. i tell you what, I was bad at the piano today and I'm having a hard time getting my words out. So, uh, but God will overcome me. Hallelujah. Number one, now y'all know what a covenant is. A covenant is very simple. T- kids, listen. Have you ever gone to somebody, if you give me that piece of gum, I'll give you my candy bar. Or if you will give me the answers. No, 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 we don't do that. We don't do that. <laughs> An agreement. If you'll let me, if you'll let me uh, have uh, your toy, I'll let you ride my bike for 10 minutes. And the other person says, okay, I agree to that. That's a covenant just means an agreement. It's people, two people or a group of people agreeing on something. Okay? Do we got it? This means yes, this means no, or amen, or oh me. Okay? Now, God has made several covenants. He made a covenant with Adam. He made a covenant with creation. He made a covenant with Noah. We talked about that last uh, semester in Sunday school. And he's made many covenants in the Bible. But there are three major covenants that you need to know about. Number one is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And by the way, this is very surface, very surface. So if you hear this or you're listening to this on our podcast or whatever, you think, boy, he didn't cover that very well. I'm trying to just explain this surface. Here is the Abrahamic covenant. If you want to turn there, you may. It's Genesis 12, verse 1. Genesis 12 and verse 1, this is the simplified version of it. This is when God came to Abraham and he said to him, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Abram, that was his name first, Get out of your country. He didn't ask him to. He told me, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those who curse you and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now basically God promised him and he reiterates this several times you're going to be a great nation your children are going to be as the sands of the sea and God's going to give you all this land by the way all the land that God promised Abraham was from Iraq to the Mediterranean Sea from all the way down towards Egypt to all the way up into Turkey 
They have never possessed it all. But I want to tell you something. If God is God, they will. So that's the covenant with Abraham. Abraham, you get, you obey me, go do that. And Abraham did it. This covenant is, number one, eternal. This is an eternal covenant. You got it? This covenant has no ending. He promised him, and here's another promise he, he told to him and to David, the Davidic covenant. There will always be a descendant of Abraham to sit upon the throne of David. Now, over in Israel somewhere, amongst all those people, there are some direct physical descendants of Abraham and David. But I want to tell you, that's not who he's talking about. There is one who is already sitting on the throne who will forever sit on the throne, and his name is? Jesus. The covenant is an eternal covenant. God will keep his promise. Woo! Glory to God, that's right. It is a unilateral covenant. In other words, in this covenant, the two parties come together, but only one is responsible for keeping it. You know what happened? And, and well, I, I was going to read this, but let me just tell you. God said, Abraham, you go kill a cow, you go kill a goat, and you go kill some dove. I might be missing one. But he killed a bunch of animals. He said, now split them in two. And he split them in two. Lay one on one side and one on the other and leave a row for two people to walk through. And he did it. And so Abraham all day long had to keep the buzzards off of it. And the buzzards, and he got tired. And the Bible says he fell asleep. And actually God put him in a trance. And in this trance, he got very fearful. And, and he saw something that scared him. It was the presence of God. And he saw as it was a burning flax, I can't remember what it said, but a burning, a, a fire come down. It was God. And, the, and what would happen is they call it cutting a covenant. The two parties would make an agreement. This wasn't unusual back then. And both of them would walk through those dead pieces of animal, bloody, gutty, dead pieces of animal. You say, brother, I don't know why they do that. And what they're saying is, if I don't keep my side of this bargain, may what happened to these animals happen to me. May I shed blood. And so Abraham fell asleep and he saw this burning flax, this burning torch, and it came down. And you know what the torch did? It went through the pieces all by itself. Well, where was Abraham? Wasn't he part of this agreement? He was. But only God, only God walked through the pieces. It all depends upon God to keep the promises to Abraham. This covenant is eternal. This covenant is unilateral. That means it's only one per uni, one lateral. And it is, this covenant though, was with Abraham alone and of course his descendants. But it has much implications for all of Israel and also you and me. Okay? Because one day we're going to inherit everything Abraham gets. Did you know that? And it's not because that we are some spiritual Jew. We're not spiritual Jews other than that we are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. We are the church. And Israel is Israel. And the two are one yet separate. Just like Christy and I. Look at her. Isn't she gorgeous? Look at that woman on that. That's my wife. We are one. Can you believe that? We're one, but we're separate. The church is one, but we're separate. God is one, 
but there's three persons in the Trinity, right? And in the heavenly family, when we get to heaven, I'm getting excited. This is not my notes. I'm chasing a rabbit. One day, it'll be a great family reunion with our mother-in-law, Israel, our father, God, and our husband, Jesus Christ. So, we see that. But then there's the Abra, the, excuse me, there's the Mosaic Covenant, or what we would call the Sinaitic Covenant, Sinai, or you know it as the Old Covenant, or the Covenant of Works. Are you with me? I don't see a lot of people writing notes. Write notes. Come on. That helps keep you awake. I see some of you drifting. I know this isn't the kind of, you know, hallelujah revival preaching, but it's good stuff. The Mosaic Covenant, God gave the law to Israel at Sinai. God now called Abraham out, and now it's time to start a nation, and he says there are some rules, and he says the rules are me because the law is God's character in written form. He didn't just make a bunch of rules and regulations. He said, I'm holy, therefore what? You be holy. And so Exodus 19.3, Exodus 19.3 says, And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, uh, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and he called to the elders of the people and he laid before them all that the words which the Lord commanded him. By the way, the words that the Lord commanded him, this not all here, but there was, thou shalt not have any, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not bear a graven, make a graven image. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon this earth. You still I don't covet. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and and uh, I may be forgetting one or two, but he gave them 10 commandments and then he gave them sub points to that commandments and gave them the rest of the law. And he says, if you will keep this law, I will be your God and you'll be my people. Simple, huh? So where was I? And you shall be, uh, verse seven. So Moses came and called the elders of the people to them. Verse 8, then all of the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Now, some of y'all may not understand. You heard somebody laugh. Well, you'll see here in a minute why. Let me tell you about this one, this covenant. Y'all ready? It's temporal. It's a temporal covenant. It was temporary. It's no longer, it's no longer uh, in, uh, in use. Although God has always had a standard of righteousness. See, my, the, the, the Ten Commandments didn't start in Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments started in let there be light. It started before that, but when God created. We see that God held all people under a, a uh, standard. 
So, uh, although God has always had a standard of righteousness, he has required of men, as we see in Job, and we also see in Genesis, this specific intricate covenant was a clear declaration of what righteousness was and is and what you had to do to meet the standard God required to be his children and to go to heaven. It is bilateral. There's something that God said that he would do, but he says, you have to do your part too. You have to keep my covenant. And then you have to do all the sacrifices. You have to do all the feasts. You have to do all the rituals, all the things. You go read it in Leviticus. How many of you have ever started out Leviticus and didn't make it through? Right. Why is that? Because you get tired of reading all those laws and understanding them and what in the world? Can you imagine if you had to live under them? It's bilateral. In this covenant, you see that there are two parties with requirements and promises on both sides. This covenant also, uh, this covenant is also called the, the covenant of works or the old covenant, and I've already put that on the board. It is a covenant number two made with Israel alone. Did you know that? You and I are not required to live by the commandments of the Old Testament. Not just because Jesus has fulfilled them, but because that covenant was not made with you and me. It was made with Israel. Now, you say, well, Brother On, how about the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Levites, not Levites, the, the, the Ammonites, the Mosquitoites? How about all those other people out there? Didn't they have to keep the law? No, they just had to love God and, and be righteous. But God didn't place them unless they converted to Judaism. God didn't place them under that law. Nobody can keep a law. I mean, that's the point, isn't it? Yay, Israel gets the law. They're better than all the other people. They still have the same problem with the Hittites, the Amorites, the uh, Jebusites. They all had. They cannot keep the law. Let me ask you a question. Who has ever kept this covenant with God? Whoever, who, who, whoever kept this covenant with God? Any Israelite that you know of? Other than Christ. You may be wondering, is my answer right? I, I, I'm not saying anything. You're right. No one. No one ever kept that commandment. So that means that this covenant was broken by everybody. Therefore, God didn't have to keep his part of it. Oh, but God is gracious. God is gracious. How many people are guilty of breaking this covenant? All of them. All of them. Even when you come to the New Testament, the Bible gives the church commands, and there's all right, like I said, there's always been a standard of righteousness. There's not a person in this place. Listen to me. Not a one of us have kept God's law. We've all broken it. We're all sinners. So what does this mean? It means that all of Israel are lost without hope. And if you break in one part of the law, the Bible says you're guilty of all of it. So what is God going to do with all those guilty sinners? Whatever he wants to do. He is the offended party. He is the just judge. And he's God. 
Therefore, my friend, God can do with you whatever he wants. Sounds like crying unfair is a dangerous proposition to me. Seeing he's God and he's the just judge and seeing fairness would mean eternal punishment if he gave you fairness. Now, lastly, what's the next covenant? The new covenant. God did not leave us in the hopelessness. He has made a new covenant. And by the way, the new covenant, listen, is not plan B. It's always, you know how Adam Adam got saved? Faith in Jesus. You know how Abraham got saved? The Bible tells us. And he believed God and it was counted for him for righteousness. David said, blessed is a man to whom God will not impute uh, iniquity. How does that happen? It can't happen by the law. So what was David talking about? He was talking about what he wrote about in Psalm 2, about the suffering servant. And Psalm 23, the shepherd. Amen. That's who he was talking about. That's what he was talking about. David was talking about a new covenant. And then along comes Jeremiah. Along comes Jeremiah, and this is a brief and general introduction that God gives us to the new covenant. Everybody, if you want to turn to Jeremiah 31, verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, God prophesies. Jeremiah prophesies, God gives him. Says the Lord, when I will, everybody say that, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke. Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make. Everybody say, I will. I will make. With the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. What does it say? I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them says the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Now, that's generally, I know he doesn't talk about faith, repentance, or the church. He's talking about Israel, but it includes all people. Let me tell you, the gospel and the epistles explain the new covenant. So, I don't have time to read. Y'all want me to start reading Matthew, Mark, Luke? We don't have time, but generally, that's what he's talking about. He says, there's coming a day. There's coming a day where I'm going to put it in your hearts. I'm going to have, you're going to have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. And I'm going to give you a new birth, a new man. That's what he's talking about. Hebrews 8, 7, I'm going to go quickly. She'll have it up on the board. For if that first covenant had been faultless, the covenant works, then no place would have been sought for for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, and he quotes what we just read in Jeremiah. Then go down to verse 13. Verse 13, and in that 
he says, a new covenant he has made. The first was obsolete, is obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete is growing old and is ready to vanish away. And it has vanished away. It never really existed. God never really depended on you to do good works. He knew you couldn't. He was always going to make a way of salvation. Luke twenty-two twenty says, likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus Christ came and died a criminal's death, died a sinner's death, died your death. Shed his blood for your sin. You're the criminal. He does the time for you willingly. And he says, this cup, every time you drink grape juice, listen, together, there's the Lord's Supper, but every time I drink grape juice, I can't help but think of the blood of Christ. Amen? That ain't a bad thing, is it? And I remember the blood he shed to save me from my filthy, rotten sin. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul reiterates what Jesus told them in Luke 22. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant. This is my new agreement. I'm going to shed my blood, and whosoever believes in me will not perish. That is it. That's the covenant. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. Hebrews 12, 24, to Jesus, the mediator, the ratifier of the new covenant, and to the blood of the sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus works. The blood of goats and lambs and all the others didn't work, but the blood of Christ works. Now, let me tell you about this one. You ready? Number one, this covenant is also unilateral. Did you hear me? Let me tell you what I believe about salvation. It's monergistic. Y'all know what that means? Mono means one. Gistic meaning energy. Don't be surprised. Jonah said it way back in the book of Jonah. Salvation is of the Lord. And we just read it. I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. Jesus alone ratifies this covenant. Everything that can be done for salvation, Jesus Christ does. Yes, we believe the gospel. Yes, we repent. We believe the gospel. But even that, the Bible says, is a work of God. Not by works of righteousness which you've done, but according to his mercy. No, 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 that's the wrong one. For by grace are you saved. Through faith. Now listen. And that, that what? Faith is not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You ever realize that's what that verse was saying? Yes, we must believe. We do believe. But we believe because God came to us. What does the Bible say? We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. You say, what is my part in this covenant? And I say to you, as Jonathan Edwards said years ago, the only part you had in your salvation was the sin that made it necessary. 
The only thing for you to do today is drop on your knees and cry out to God to save you, turning from your sin, turning to God as your Lord and Master. We're talking a lot about election and predestination and if God chooses and doesn't choose. And We'll talk about some people think that God sends people to hell without a, uh, without a choice. I don't believe that. But here's the problem. Here's Not the problem, but here's the thing. You say, I don't know if I'm elect or not, but I want to be saved. Then call on the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Well, what if I'm not elect? Then you won't call on the name of the Lord. You won't want it. You don't care about him. You don't have to worry about it. But if today you want to be saved, good news, you can be saved. So understand that, that that's what I'm saying through all this. But when you get saved, fall on your face and give every bit of the praise, honor, glory to God alone. This covenant is eternal. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, who believes him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You say, Brother Ron, I believe you can lose your salvation. Then you think God lied about 500 times in the New Testament because he said you get saved, you get eternal life. And if you lose it, guess what? It's not. Number three, this covenant is with everybody. Jesus says this. I died and I rose again for you. But if you'll come to me by faith, I will save you. Now, that's all you have to worry about. And then once you get saved, you realize that God, in his grace and mercy, came to you in love. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. We believe in the gospel and the righteousness of Christ is applied to us. You think today, what if I'm here today and God will not save me? That is not true. God saves anybody that will come to him. Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer, she was blind from birth. And this story was related about this hymn that she wrote. On one occasion, it was at a state prison Much was hoped for from this particular evangelistic meeting. And as Fanny Crosby was speaking, they would have her speak. She was very famous back then for all her hymns. Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine, and so many others. I can't even remember them all. Uh, You see in your hymn book, you'll see her name over and over again. Her very blindness gave her power to speak to these prisoners And all of a sudden, one prisoner and then another would interrupt by calling out, Lord, do not pass me by. And Fanny told that she was so touched by the pleas of these men that she could not get the thought of them out of her mind. Indeed, she said, I wrote the lines with the men's pleading wail still ringing in my ears. Pass me not. Oh, gentle Savior, hear my humble cry while on others thou art waiting. Do not pass me by. Let me at thy throne of mercy, listen, find a sweet relief. Kneeling there, here it is, in deep contrition. Help my unbelief. I'm trusting only in thy merit. Would I seek thy face? Trusting only in thy merit, would I seek thy face? Heal my wounded, broken spirit and save me by thy grace. 
Thou, I like this last verse, thou, the spring of all my comfort, more than life to me. Is that what Jesus has become to you? If it's not, you're not saved. You're not born again. Thou, the spring of all my comfort, more than life to me, whom have I on earth beside thee? Whom in heaven but thee? Yes, God is sovereign. But I want to tell you something. God is gracious and God is merciful and he is loving. And today, if you want to be his child, you can be. Come to Jesus. 